0: When a young woman is deep asleep, she hears a voice in her head say, Defend yourself! Just in time to find two invaders breaking into her room. And then we meet a man who is traveling through Utah and saw a strange otherworldly sight. Or did he? And then Insanity Week continues. As we travel to a small town in the middle of America, prepare yourself to examine the parable of the automobile, today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. Buckle up. This is another weird one. First off, riding into Dead Rabbit Command on the back of a gilded gopher. It's our newest Patreon supporter, Jizz Leopard. Everyone give a round of applause to Jizz Leopard. He's like that poor gopher. I just imagine a giant leopard on the back of this little gopher being like, ah, ah. Jizz Leopard, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. (laughs) Please don't eat the gopher. It's too late. If you guys can't support the Patreon or if you don't eat gophers, that's fine too. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. we got a ton of stuff to cover. So Jizz Leopard, I'm going to toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are headed out to Houston, Texas. Jason Jalopi is an old-timey car driving us all the way out. It's April 5th, 1993. We're in Houston, Texas, and there's this young woman. She's sleeping in bed. We don't have her name. We'll call her Michaela. In the middle of her dream, she hears a voice yell out, Defend yourself! And she wakes up to an empty bedroom. So she doesn't really... Maybe it's just her head. I mean, that's usually where dreams are, but maybe she was just imagining it she wakes up she's in this room by herself for just a moment and then walking through the walls just phasing right through she sees two gray aliens she's panicking obviously and one of them begins to approach her is getting closer and closer to her and she remembers she's thinking what am i supposed to do what am i supposed to do when someone attacks me defend yourself she remembers that that was it that's the reason i had the dream She reaches out and she grabs this gray alien's head. And she grabs on to its big black eyeball. And then she pulls. It turns out, and I've heard this before in alien encounters, it turns out that the giant black eyes on the gray aliens are hard plastic or some sort of biofilm that is not their actual eye. It's the equivalent to if an astronaut went to another planet, like the documentary Planet 51 starring the rock. If an astronaut went to another planet, they would think or they'd think we were a cyclops. We had a giant head and then one big visor. And if you lift the visor up, you would see Duane the Rock Johnson. But otherwise, it would just look like a cyclops. That this is some sort of protective coating. She grabs on and she pulls it away. And this mucus begins to cover her hands. Whatever was either the adhesive here or was some sort of organic liquid, similar to blood. Like, (laughs) stuff can be attached to you and be attached fairly permanent, but it's still not part of your makeup. But she rips this off of it. She rips the eyeball off. Doesn't rip the eyeball out. Doesn't poke it in. It would be the equivalent of taking someone's sunglasses off. (laughs) But a bunch of mucus is shooting out. After she peels this eye visor off, the gray aliens retreat. I found that story on ThinkAboutItDocs.com. They got it from Trisha McCannon. She wrote it for the International UFO Library magazine, June-July issue 1994. It's a very, very brief story. The reason why I wanted to cover it was... One, and a gray alien gets beat up. I like that. Two, I think it fits in with Insanity Week. Because we see these visions of these gray aliens all the time. In literature, movies, things like that. And we're, at least at a certain point, we can be comforted by the lore. I mean, It's not so comforting when they're trying to drill a hole in your brain. But if you see a gray alien, you know what a gray alien is. You see a ghost, you know what a ghost is. But when you see things that are outside the realm of possibility, it's even more disturbing. Like the episode I did that to this day I get emails about. To this day I get emails about how disturbing this episode was. I'm not going to give away the punchline. Those of you who listened to it will remember. It was the one about the two kids in Mexico who came home one day and went into their kitchen. And they saw something that drove them mad. And you got to listen to that episode to really get the gimmick. Don't give it away. Don't give it away in the comments, but it just doesn't make sense. It would drive you mad to see something like that. And to the, that episode was like episode 200, 300, something like that. I get emails to this day and YouTube comments to this day about how disturbing people found that episode. And so, when you look at a gray alien and you know the big giant head, you know the big black eyes, but what happens? What's under that? If that's not really their eyeball, if that is the equivalent of a pair of sunglasses or a protective visor, what do they really look like? What if the whole, and I've heard this before, the whole gray skin is an astronaut suit. That's why a lot of people say it feels like plastic. It feels rough when you touch a gray alien, That it's actually a super tight space travel suit. So what are they? Like, could you imagine peeling one of those eyes off and looking and seeing something truly alien? Something you had never imagined was possible. Something that evolved on another planet. You're looking at its real eyeball, staring back at you. All the TV shows, all the video games, all the cartoons, action figures, everything prepared you for a gray alien encounter. But when you peel that back, you see something that no one else on Earth has seen, or at least survived to tell the tale. Just Leopard, let's go ahead and hop in the dead rabbit dirigible. We're going to leave behind Houston, Texas. Have a good night. Okay, <laughs> she can't sleep. She's like, no, I think we'll come back. Oh, don't worry. They'll come back. They will come back <laughs> this time with reinforcements, but we won't be here. just Leopard, we're leaving behind Houston, Texas. We are headed out to a remote part of Utah. We don't know exactly where this story takes place. A remote part of Utah is what, 98% of the state? takes place somewhere in Utah. I also want to give a shout out to Jim Jam. Jim Jam is the one who recommended this story. I don't know if I've announced this on the show yet. It's been up and running for a couple of weeks. We actually have a Discord for the Patreon supporters that we've been doing. If you are a Patreon supporter, you can listen to me record an episode live every Sunday morning, which has been a lot of fun it's been a lot of fun and allows me to kind of test out material and sometimes I'll ask you guys questions how does this story work? Da, da 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 da. So if you're a Patreon supporter, that is a really cool thing to check out if you've been thinking about joining the Patreon, now is a great time to do it. We do have this Discord set up. It's really cool. So Jim Jan sent this over to me, very very brief story. But again, it's the implications of it that I think are interesting. We're in Utah, We're at a gas station. The big old turgible is landing on the roof of a gas station. Everyone's like, look, Martha, it's one of them floating machines. We jump out to get some Whatchamacullet bars and some Sprite Zero. And we see a commotion in the parking lot of this gas station. This was posted by Monkey897. And they were telling this story. They were driving through a remote part of Utah late at night. They stop at the gas station. And there's 10 people in the parking lot. They're just standing there in a circle, swaying back and forth. They're not making any noise. They're not chanting. They're just swaying as one movement, standing in a circle. In each of their hands, they're holding a glowing white orb, swaying back and forth in the middle of this parking lot, standing in a circle. That's it. That's the whole thing story monkey gets back in his car they drive away apparently this happened at night in a remote part of utah that's all we get this was posted on the utah subreddit and i actually reached out to monkey and i was like hey is there any other information available it never got back to me other people were like whoa dude do you know where that was at he was like i don't know remember No detail whatsoever with this story. None. And then he just goes on. I looked at other Reddit posts he's posting. He's just a normal person. He's not in a bunch of weird subreddits like I am. He's not a member of the meth subreddit. He's not a member of all of these UFO crawler sightings subreddits, stuff like that. And the reason why I wanted to cover this story, I was hoping for more information, obviously, to either suss out whether or not this was a LARP. And he's like, oh, yeah. And then the next day, like 10 of them showed up at my door and they had an 11th sphere. And they, "Ah, okay, and... Now I know you're making it up. <laughs> or you're in great danger. One of the two. You're either totally making it up, or you're about to be absorbed into a cult. Either or. I, I can't help you either way. But no, nothing. And I started thinking about it, and it actually stuck with me, because I think about it, I read all. I read constantly. That's all I do for this show. I'm reading paranormal, ghost stories, conspiracy stuff. It's not an exaggeration. And so... That's why my vacations are so (laughs) valuable to me. And so when a story sticks in my head, that's meaningful. Because I just go through stuff. Sometimes I'll read two, three paragraphs, dismiss it. It's just not interesting. Sometimes I'll read whole articles and decide not to cover them, whatever. the story stuck with me for weeks. I thought, oh, that's such an interesting story. And here's why. One, the visual is interesting, right? Just on a basic story level, it's an interesting story. I love paranormal stuff that is on, in society, but on the outskirts of society. The Hidden War, the Masquerade, as a Vampire the Masquerade players know verily well. It's this idea that right next to our reality, there is a shadow reality, something else going on. So I like that urban magic type of thing. This is happening in a fairly open spot. It's a remote part of Utah, but it is in a parking lot of like a Circle K, 7-Eleven, whatever it is. You have that element. But then secondly, it's funny to think that we as paranormal people, right? We are half ghosts, half skeleton. We as paranormal people, people who investigate this stuff, if we were driving through an area in the middle of nowhere and we saw something like this, we'd be like, oh, dude, probably take notes. Right? We'd be the ones who'd get killed by the cult. But you take notes. I'm not advising you to do this, but you'd observe and report is what I'm saying, right? You would remember where you were at, at the very least. This is what we do. This is is our hobby. And the world of the paranormal, the world of the weird, doesn't care. It really doesn't. It's so interesting because ghost sightings can happen in front of the believer and the non-believer. UFO abductions can happen to the people who love UFOs and have watched all the UFO documentaries to someone who doesn't believe in them at all. The The paranormal world doesn't care. It's f- very, very fascinating the way that that works. And that's what happened here. This guy just didn't care. He stumbled across some weird cult that may have been summoning the dark god of Kanuna, and he just wanted his big gulp. It could have been a weird, wacky religion that's looking for new members. It could have been a LARP, and they were trying to get people interested in it, and they were start. Who knows? Who knows? But... We would have, we would have at least figured out where we were, and so I love this. I, I actually love this story. The fact that we don't have a ton of information about it, and the fact that he was so blase about it and just posted it on this Utah subreddit, again, it wasn't even in like the truth is here or some X-oriented subreddit or even the X board or anything like that. It was Utah, but I find it interesting. I find it fascinating that. He just kind of went on with his life. And every so often, he might remember this story. He might be like, oh, you know, remember that? as <laughs> the giant glowing orbs are invading Earth. And great Lord Kanarnar is taking over the United Nations, absorbing the souls of our leaders. He's like, you know what? This reminds me of that time I could have stopped the invasion of all reality. But every so often, he might remember this story and think about it. Or he may never. Again, like this story stuck with me. I might have thought about this story more over the past two or three weeks than he has. Interesting. That's that's that, that to me is very, very interesting. The reality and the unreality living next to each other and people who aren't interested in at all bumping into it. A lot of times I'll see people who are like, I love ghosts. I believe in ghosts, but I've never seen a ghost. How can I see a ghost? And they're frustrated because they want proof. Some guy who doesn't believe in ghosts will have this totally intricate story about how he was in a cabin one day. And this old spectral miner was banging on the window, let me in, who's got my big toe? And you're like, you still don't believe in ghosts? Nah, it might have just been an optical illusion. I mean, the fact that he did rip off my big toe might be more than an optical illusion, but I still don't believe in ghosts. I, I-, I think that's just a fascinating thing. Jizz Leopard, are you ready? Jizz gives a little nod of his head. Gilded Gopher, are you back alive? Gilded Gopher does a little bow. Just Leopard, I'm going to toss you the keys to the Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind Utah, and we are headed out to a small town in the middle of America. We're in a small town in America. Let's call it Pleasantville. It's a small town. You've lived here all your life. You've actually been very, very successful in life. You're the town judge. So people come to you, Judge, Judge, what should I do? You're like, I'm not not a life counselor. But they're like, no, no, like, should I arrest that guy? The cop cop is walking up to you, should I arrest that guy? The guy's shooting a bunch of people? Yeah, you should do that. You help people with their problems. People come to you, you know, chicken thieves, and you have to decide their fate. And you're very well-respected judge. But there's been a bit of a controversy lately you're starting to hear people complain about these newfangled machines called automobiles. Now, this is a small town. And for as long as you can remember, the horse and buggy was good enough for the people of Pleasantville. But these automobiles are coming into town, and you've heard about them. You've never actually been in one, but you've heard about them. They're loud, roaring machines, fancy pieces of steel fused together for a smooth ride down any country road. But see, there's a few local residents of Pleasantville who think that the cars are menaces, thinks that they should be completely banned. Those cars are driving through town, they're scaring the chickens. Why, did you know the other day Billy Bob got drunk, got behind the wheel of his automobile, and smashed over Miss Henrietta's chicken coop? And you go, hmm, that is troubling. Because you've heard that there have been four cases of automobile accidents in the small town of Pleasantville recently. Now, all four of those incidents were tied to reckless driving. All four of these people were driving over the speed limit, driving in crazy ways, and two of them were drunk. But these people in town want you to get rid of the automobile. It is a very loud mob of people shouting at you to get rid of them. In town, there is a small automobile club that has 45 members. And they're pretty open about their ownership of their cars. They love them. They really love the cars. They love the convenience. They love the power, the speed. They love the way they look. But you have all these people complaining in town, and you have these 45 people who love their cars. And you have these four accidents. Henrietta's chicken coop got smashed. Things could get worse. So you decide to ban automobiles in Pleasantville. And of course, the mob is happy. You've made them very, very content. But the 45 owners of vehicles say that's not fair. Like, sure, listen, we actually have a code of conduct here at the Automobile Club. We don't speed We don't drink and drive. We follow laws, not just county laws, not just city laws. But we've made up laws for ourselves to regulate our behavior in these automobiles. And you say, listen, I got four accidents already with these automobiles. They're too unpredictable. Who knows what damage will come from them? The leader of the automobile club goes, well, think about this. What if we had our own roads to drive on? What if we had our own private roads that we drove on? We could drive them around our own property. You wouldn't even have to worry about them. If you're worried about people causing accidents, we wouldn't even be on the roads. We wouldn't make horses more skittish. People wouldn't be jumping out of the way. Just let us drive on our own property. You say no. The people have spoken. The majority of town have spoken. You are not allowed to operate your motor vehicle in the city of Pleasantville. The leader of the automobile club says, I understand, but it's going to be hard to regulate this. We own these vehicles and we've used these vehicles to help people before. You may not know that, but when Mrs. Margaret, Her wagon broke down, got stuck in the mud. I personally use my automobile to help get her wagon out of the mud. I've also given people rides in town when they don't have a horse and buggy. And you say, listen, I've already made my decision. Automobiles are illegal in this town. The leader of the automobile club looks at you and he goes, There might be more people in this town who own cars than you know. One day, Mr. Jones is walking out to his barn. Mr. Jones is a member of the now-banned automobile club. And his beautiful machine has been sitting inside of a barn for the past few months. Every day he goes out to wash it, to maintain it, to just kind of look at it. He misses driving his automobile, but the law won't allow it. At that time, his nephew Tom visits. Hey, Uncle, Tom says as he walks onto the farm. Mr. Jones turns around and goes, Ah, my favorite nephew, Tommy, you're here to hang out with me for a while? You betcha. I'm going to help you with chores and all sorts of stuff. (laughs) My voice changed to be more like a child. And Tommy is helping out Mr. Jones, doing a bunch of chores. But at one point, Tommy goes into the barn and he sees this automobile. It's not covered up by a tarp or anything because Mr. Jones had been working on it that morning. Tommy, his eyes, What is this? Is this one of those automobiles I've heard so much about? It is, Tommy. Can I get a ride in it? This would be so amazing. It'd be the bee's knees. Mr. Jones goes, I'd love to give you a ride in this machine, but automobiles are illegal. It would not be right for me to give you a ride in this car. Aw, shucks, Tommy says. But... What if we just drove around on your property? No one would know. Mr. Jones thinks about it for a while, and he goes, Well, I have wanted to use my car for a while. It's just been sitting here, too. You would love to ride in the car, obviously. You betcha. Yeah, sure, Tommy. Get in. Let's go for a ride. But only on my property. On my legally owned property. But the second Mr. Jones starts up that car, Mrs. McHaggarty, in a farm not too far away, hears the vehicle. What? The busybody says. I bet you it's one of them automobiles again. And sure enough, she goes out and she sees this devilish man driving in his pristine automobile, Tommy, with a bright smile on his face, driving around the farm. That's enough to get Mr. Jones arrested. When the authorities show up to arrest Mr. Jones, Tom is trying to intervene. No, 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 you don't understand. My voice gets deeper when the police show up. And... He didn't break any laws. We didn't leave the property. And the officer goes, it doesn't matter. The law is no automobile operation at all in this city. And Tommy goes, but I was the one who wanted to ride in the automobile. The officer said, it doesn't matter. He's the adult. It was his decision to drive the automobile. He's in trouble. Aw, shucks, Tommy says. And then they go, Tommy, we need to get you back home. And they put him on the back of a horse to ride back to his house, as you would normally travel in this town. And the horse bucks Tommy off. He falls to the ground and gets a black eye. Aww. The horse said that was the horse. He thought it was Tommy. Twist ending. Tommy now has this big black shiner, but he is eventually taken home. And when his parents ask, what happened? How'd you get this black guy? He goes, well, I was at the farm with Uncle Jones. And I was driving around in his automobile. And before he can tell the whole truth, his parents go, you got injured in an automobile? I knew I should have been worried about Uncle Jones. So this goes to trial. There's a huge trial in town. Everyone's there, of course. You have the people who support the automobile club, but they're undercover. They don't want anyone to know they're on Mr. Jones aside. And then you have the brain mob of people who warned everyone about how dangerous automobiles were in the first place. And they bring Tommy up on the stand. And they ask him about what happened. And he says, It was my idea to get in the vehicle. My voice is even deeper now. It gets deep in different parts of the law process. It was my idea to be in the car. I saw the car. I wanted to get in it. And the prosecutor goes, Well, Mr. Jones showed you the car. No, he didn't. I walked into the barn, and it was there. Yes, but by leaving the car uncovered, he knew you would be fascinated by it. He knew you would want to be in the car. You see, it wasn't your decision at all. Tom thinks about it for a second. He goes, yeah, yeah, I guess... If I hadn't seen the car, I I wouldn't have... See, he led you on to want to be in the automobile in the first place. It was him. He's a monster. And all of the people in the crowd who hate automobiles nodded, nodded along to this. Tommy starts to think, maybe, maybe he did lead me on. Now remember, you're the judge of town, and you're sitting... You're, you're the judge for this trial. I didn't say that. Did you think you're in the audience? No, you're actually the judge of this trial. And you're sitting there and you are hearing this, but you also see what just happened. This prosecutor, this very clever county prosecutor that you've seen in hundreds of cases, just got that boy to admit that he might have been tricked into getting in the automobile. And you do you register that. You go, that's interesting. Like, does the boy really regret it? Or did the boy really want to write in that? Automobile of his own volition. this trial continues, but it's not looking good for Mr. Jones. The fact of the matter is he did break the law. He was using a vehicle, he was driving an automobile. but his defense lawyer isn't shabby either, and his defense lawyer gets up and says, "Listen, here's the facts of the matter. We have forty five automobiles in town, and we've had four accidents. Five, if you want to include Tommy getting his black eye, but that was from a horse after the car. If we want to talk about accidents directly related to cars, we only have those four. And those are people who are driving irresponsibly. Two of them are drunk. When we look at the amount of horses in town, we've had far more accidents involving horses than we have ever had with cars. Now, obviously, the argument is there's more horses than cars, so of course there's more accidents. But the defense lawyer goes, listen, there are more horses, correct, but there are so many horse accidents. People falling off Look at Tommy here, got a black eye. People falling off horses. Horses going skittish, whole wagons being dragged off into the dirt. Horses biting people. (laughs) That's apparently, I don't know if horses go around biting people. But horses robbing banks. You have all of these incidents with horses, and yes, a car ran over Mrs. McTaggarty's barn. But it just could have easily been a wild horse or a horse-drawn carriage with a careless driver who we also have people who drive carriages drunk. The hen house is going to be smashed by either vehicle. It doesn't matter what the vehicle is. A horse and carriage out of control can do as much damage as an automobile going out of control. They can both kill, they can both maim, they can both destroy property, Your Honor. So why are automobiles illegal and horses and buggies not? And you're sitting there as this judge. And you look at the crowd, the numerous crowd, the majority of people. Who have spoken over and over and over again. Automobiles are dangerous. The people who use automobiles are dangerous. They should be banned in Pleasantville. Statistics be damned. Facts are not relevant. We do not like automobiles. Four accidents are four accidents too much. And then you look over at the people who you know or have a suspicion... They are members of the Automobile Club. You think of the statistics. You think of the emotional damage. You think of the case in front of you right now with Tom and Mr. Jones. The audience awaits your verdict. This is what's known as the parable of the automobile. It was written by an anonymous author named Encephalon back in the year 2000. It was published on a website known as the North American Man Boy Love Association, a.k.a. NAMBLA. Welcome to Insanity Week, because this is a level of insanity that's clever. If I presented, let's present this same story to you with what they want. The North American Man-Boy Love Association. I'm not putting this in the show notes either. You can Google this. I'm not going to be affiliated with this guy. I actually found this because I was covering, I was going to do a story about this insane politician who had all these really, really, he actually was tried running for it like office in Virginia or Washington, D.C., I'll put his stuff in the show notes. I'm not going to cover the whole story. It's too gross, but he was grosser than this, grosser than what we're about to discuss. He was running for political office and he said in his like uh, statement of whatever, whatever the politician, their their platform. He said in his platform, the parable of the automobile must be tested by democracy. I go, what's that? (laughs) And then I spent an afternoon. I condensed, that's a very, very, very long story. I condensed it and made it a flow a little bit better. I kept the core of it. This politician was eventually arrested trying to get a 12-year-old girl on a plane flight from California to D.C. And she was wearing a wig, or he was wearing a wig, or they were both wearing wigs. Now he's in prison for 20 years, which is where he belongs. But on his political platform, he just had all this craziness, and he had this thing about the parable of the automobile must be tested by democracy. I go, I gotta see what this. See what, I gotta go down this rabbit hole. So let's break down what they're saying, because now that you know, for those of you who stuck around here, why is Chase just telling this old-timey story? The Automobile Club of 45 members in this small town, 45 dudes, if you knew, like sure, if you live in a big city, there probably are at least 45 active pedophiles, but if you lived in Pleasantville, if you lived in some tiny little town and there's 45 of them, so anyways, there's in this small town at the turn of the century, there's 45 boy lovers. This episode's not getting monetized on YouTube. There's 45 boy lovers. And that's where the Automobile Club represents. And all these people the whole time who were complaining about how much damage they caused and how they were horrible, they were us. They were normal people going, dude, you can't be doing that. What are you doing with those kids? And they go, no, 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 no. Those four people you arrested, they were breaking our rules. See, those were rogue child molesters. Those were the bad ones. See, we do it with love. That's why you put love in our name. Disgusting. I don't know how much I want to break down this story, but... That's their logic. That's the insanity of this. And I could see someone, a member of Nambla, reading this and being like, oh, yeah, man, this is exactly, this is right. Like, we get treated like we're ostracized if you look at the facts. But the facts don't make, first off, no one's ever used a child to pull a buggy, to pull a carriage out of a ditch. That doesn't make any sense at all, right? None of that stuff makes sense. Too. the comparison to you can get just as injured on a horse as you can in a car, no, right? Because one of them, the horse, represents traditional consensual sex between adults. And whether it's like one adult or it's polygamy or group or or whatever, it doesn't matter. They're consenting adults. You can have a whole wagon train. doesn't matter. And if a couple people get injured in that, that would suck for them, obviously. I'll probably do an episode on it. But that's the horse and buggy, whether or not they're smashing over Mrs. McCartney's in-house... It's consensual adults. You're just gross, dude. You can't compare that. And, and and technically, hopefully, no one's getting injured in either. One shouldn't exist. The Automobile Club should not exist in this comparison. The horses, you know, hopefully be safe about it. Don't, don't put a bit in your mouth and try carrying five passengers on your back. I think you'll be fine sexually. But this is their comparison it's more people get more people statistically, if you want to look at raw numbers, I guess more I, actually no, that still doesn't make sense. More people get injured during consensual sex than it does with Nambla dudes, and even if I was having consensual sex with someone and I stubbed my toe or she accidentally i don't know bit my dick or something like that, that's way better than anything these sickos are doing right. So anyways, that doesn't make sense. (laughs) Using your boy to pull a buggy out of a ditch doesn't make sense. When you think about it, it's the parable of the automobile and the boy coming over and seeing the car and being like, I want to ride in the car. You do go, well, yeah, of course. Like, who wouldn't want to ride in a car when they're brand new? But if you have to make that, if you make that in the real world, what they're really talking about is, I don't want to go into detail, but somebody coming over and seeing an act either a pornographic magazine video or something like that, and going, oh, I want to do that too. That's what that is a connection to. And so the character was saying that I wanted to do it. Uh, And they're saying, no, he showed you material that made you want to do it. Did you guys know there's a Spider-Man comic along those lines? It's technically canon. I think it's actually a really important comic book. It turns out Peter Parker was molested as a young boy because of something like that. And I that happens. It happens to a lot of boys. It happens to a lot of girls. It happens to a lot of boys. And I think with boys, we dismiss it. We don't talk about it. So it's more hidden. But it happens to everyone. Not everyone, statistically. But it happens to a lot of people. It's not something that you need to be ashamed about. It is something that you talk to people you feel comfortable with. But yeah, I, I that happened to Peter Parker. That happened to Peter Parker. He came over to some guy's house. And the guy showed him some magazines. And then... Peter Parker got molested and I know like people have joked about it in the past I think that's really important I think that's really important because there are a lot of young people not just young men but a lot of young people who could read that comic book and go oh like it's it's not that it's not a big deal but it's something that you can get through something you can get through and get past and thrive but anyway so that that was that corollary there This story doesn't have any crazy, fantastic ending. It doesn't have any horror ending or anything. I can't make up anything creepier than what we just read. So we're just going to end it like this. Sometimes the worst insanity is the insanity that hides itself as sanity. They make a good narrative when you don't know what they're arguing. And I think that happens a lot. I think a lot of times we hear a story and it sounds good and we nod our heads. We start agreeing with it, and we don't know what the end game is. It could be something simple. It could be a politician trying to get your vote. Or it could be something nefarious, disgusting, unnatural. The story is right about one thing, though. You don't know how many members are in the automobile club. And that's the scariest part of all.